When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to another episode of History Hack. Very excited today. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do not know our next guest, uh, which is Josh, then please go back to some of our previous recordings on Hawaiian kings and Britain and Japan. So you should all know who is here with us. Hi, Josh. Hi, Alina. Thanks for having me back. I'm surprised to be back, you know, always, you know. Yes, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. You know, you have quality standards on this show. You know, you don't need the likes of me. Uh, You have to really be careful about who you invite. (laughs) Do you know what? I'm actually quite excited today because we're talking about a subject that when I was a very little girl, you know, all of us historians were little at one stage. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a subject, I actually wanted to do this as a profession and then I realised how hard it actually is and I just stuck (laughs) in the 20th century. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's it's that kind of subject. It's, it is. It's, it's so interesting, though, because we're going to be talking about a pharaoh and a very a quite specific pharaoh, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Do you want me to do to say who it is, or are you going to go? Do you know what? I'm going to have a go at pronouncing his name because what he's he's been dead for what over two thousand years, right? So, Way over two thousand, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we don't actually quite know how to pronounce. So I'm going to have a go. I if I was to read this, I would say. Pi. Yeah. But what yeah. would you say? Uh, instinctively, I would also first read pie and then think that sucks because it sounds like food. <laughs> and <laughs> then think of a different way to say it that sounds a little cooler, um, which, uh, which I've heard people pronounce it uh, PA and, and stuff like that. But I'm happy to go with pie today. Because I've also heard people call him pie. Do you want to know? I, I don't know if I can say PA because in Polish that actually means drink. Okay, so tell us uh, who was he and when did he reign? Okay, so Pi was the king of uh, the kingdom of Kush, which is in Nubia and specifically southern Nubia, which confusingly in ancient times would have been called Upper Nubia. And he was the son of King Kashta of Nubia. And he's famous for basically conquering Egypt and for being, in quotes, the first of the black pharaohs, which uh, relates to the, what, the, what Egyptologists call the, the 25th dynasty of, uh, of the Egyptian pharaohs. Do you know what? I've got to say, this is quite interesting because this is something that's a hot topic actually right now in the media, isn't it? Yes, I think so. Uh, if 
in, in, is this in terms of like um, black history and sort of the visibility of that? Or? Oh, no. Um, so basically they're bringing out a new film, Cleopatra film. And um, yes. I can't remember what her name is, the Israeli uh, Gal, Gal That's it, yeah. So she's, she's playing Cleopatra and there's a whole big thing saying, well, Cleopatra was Greek. No, she was black. No, she was. So it's, it's, it's actually, this is, this is quite interesting coming out mm-hmm. right now as we're doing this podcast. Yes, yes. I think there should be a movie about this guy, actually. I think that about everybody I, I ever write about, of course, but <laughs> he would make a very good subject, I think. For some sort of ancient war movie or something like that. You know, you've got to you've got to now convince us that he deserves his own role in a film. Okay, that is my mission. Uh, exactly. So, do we actually have any information about his early reign? No, not really. Not in the not in the sense of like uh, other pharaohs from say the 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 what they call the the New Kingdom of the 18th Dynasty, the really well documented ones. He's a little bit of a shadowy figure. Nobody knows how old he was when he became pharaoh. They only know that he he reigned for about twenty four to thirty years, and the, that he inherited kind of a quest from his father to kind of protect the city of Thebes in Upper Egypt, which is southern Egypt again, confusingly, uh, because of the way the Nile runs, uh, and uh, that's very important because Thebes is the headquarters of the, the cult um, of the gods Amun, and, uh, which is at uh, Karnak, which is the great, great ruins of, uh, in that city. And where the, that was where the, the priests all lived and where all the great festivals happened and things. So it was very important in Egyptian history. And he inherited this kind of quest to, to keep alive the traditions of the the ancient Egyptian religion, especially the the the, the part, uh, especially yeah, especially the cult of Amun, uh, which was very important in Nubia itself. And we know that his father therefore laid the groundwork for what he would do. But specifically speaking, you, we don't know anything. Uh, up until basically anything for certain anyway, until he actually invades Egypt. Maybe when he was born or roughly when he was born? Do we have an idea about that? Uh, accepted knowledge is that he was born sometime within the 700s BC um, and that he came to the throne uh, in the mid to late part of that century. Um, but actually, again, there, there is no information that I have ever read anyway about when. There's some, some vague theories because you can slot him into the line of Egyptian kings. But um, this actual whole period is very murky when it comes to firm dates. Uh, and because, and there's, a, there's, a, there's an unfortunate and annoying lack of inscriptions for him. Uh, for various reasons that those who study Egyptology will be familiar with, i.e. other pharaohs destroying them or carving things over them or them just being lost and, and things like that. So unfortunately, we don't actually have a firm date for when he was born. So we actually don't know how old he was, whether he was young or old when he came to power. 
that's kind of really frustrating. This is why I like to stick to the 20th century because we have yeah. concrete facts about things. And yeah, yeah I, I, I want to, I really want to know now, was he young? Was he old? Was he, yeah. do, do we have anything, any uh, statues or any inscriptions that, or paintings that show what he looked like? <laughs> that's the other annoying thing. Um, no, there are statues of him, but most of them are missing its face. Uh, oh, that's which great. Suggests, yeah, which suggests some sort of deliberate thing to erase his, to, to erase him, um, because it, pharaohs were always doing that to each other, um, which is just so polite, isn't it? Do you know, it's really frustrating, I think, trying to determine all of this stuff, because we're actually doing a podcast about Thucydides. Uh, for those who don't know who mm-hmm. Thucydides was, uh, he was a historian in ancient Greek times, and he um, chronicled the Peloponnesian War. And I really think we need more Thucydides, however you want to pronounce that with a, with a plural, yeah. from around the world. Because, I, I mean, I understand trying to wipe, you know, the previous pharaoh off the face, you know, because I'm better. Great. I'm yeah. amazing. Yeah, look at me. I've exactly. built the biggest pyramid. What, well, whatever. Absolutely. We, do you know what? We need to clone Thucydides, send him back in time, and get him to chronicle all of this stuff for future historians. I think that would be an ideal, ideal idea. New mission. New mission for the Time Machine Brigade. Exactly. exactly. I, don't <laughs> know why time. I don't know why we're bringing in time machines here. But So, what do we, so <laughs> let's go back to Egypt at the time right. of his reign. What do we know about Egypt at that time? Uh, at this time, again, again uh, slightly murky, not as murky as this guy himself, um, but it informs why it's such a confusing period for, for Egyptologists to kind of decipher, because a, uh, an era of chaos had kind of fallen onto, onto the Nile Kingdom, and this had transformed, its, this era of chaos had transformed itself into a... Uh, a boisterous jigsaw of petty states, especially in the north, um, most of which were ruled by uh, Libyan uh, warlords. And uh, in the south, you had some of the, some of the diehard holdouts of, um, around Thebes and things like that. And so there was no centralized power anymore. And there was actually four guys um, with various confusing names who said that they were pharaoh. Um, that's not including King Pai, uh, who also said he was pharaoh, or king at least. Or he at least said he was king of, of Kush uh, and Upper Egypt. But there were there was there was a whole there was too many pharaohs, you know. And so we got five of these guys basically competing for one job. Yes, uh, and uh, to the exclusion of the others, because they weren't they weren't always fighting each other. They were just sort of sitting in their palaces saying, "I am pharaoh." and ignoring the existence of the others unless they had to fight them. So <laughs> in reality, there was only one who had, who had kind of inherited the proper um, titles and, and ceremonies and things like that. And I think his name was um, Sheshonk. Four guys that we know of had crowned themselves with the proper pharaonic cobra and, cobra and jackal crown. Thing. And so it was very confusing, and they were, and 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 because of, and because it was, all, they all did whatever the heck they wanted, and we were all kind of squabbling with each other. That meant that not only was the state destabilized, but 
they, they also, there was the danger that they would drag the kingdom into conflict with neighboring powers. And this was happening as some of the northern rulers in, in the Egyptian delta were starting to mess around in what is now Israel and uh, Syria. And that was bringing them into the orbit of the Assyrians. And that's just bad news because they're the new kid on the block and they're tough. And that, and that is, is why perhaps you can uh, see why it's difficult to kind of see where, when Pi was born and things like that, because there was so much confusion in this time. And so there wasn't just one all-powerful figure creating all of the tablets and temples and things where you can get all the great inscriptions which tell you about their lives. You have, you know, four to half a dozen. It, sounds, it just sounds chaotic at this point. So how does our friend Pi fall into all of this? Well, uh, like I said before, he, he comes to the throne, uh, obviously, uh, one presumes after his father dies. His father had kind of made a, a Kushite lodgment in Upper Egypt around the, the city of Thebes, uh, which, by the way, is the great... Which, uh, Thebes, by the way, is the Greek name for it. I think in Egyptian they called it Waset, but I'm just going to call it Thebes because that's pretty much the common vernacular. Um, and so he, he had got a lodgment in Thebes. He had this, I think he had a small garrison up there. And he'd actually installed... Uh, Pai's sister as what they called God's wife of Amun, which is uh, kind of the top priestess there. And so it, what happens is Pai comes to the throne. He is uh, His coronation in Nubia as king of Cush happens at the uh, temple of Amun at Jebel Barkal, which is in, which is a mountain in Sudan. And once he's done that, he, he basically his next step is to make him, it known that I, he is king of, of, of Upper Egypt and the protector of Thebes. So he sends his army north, or part of it, to secure Upper Egypt and, you know, show, show the flag, as it were. And then he goes on a procession up there and uh, gets crowned again uh, as king of Upper Egypt. And, and in and basically that means that in in former times that could mean you were just pharaoh because there is actually a line of kings who who derived their power from the priesthood at, at Karnak. But so it was so it was a highly significant thing to do. And so he went up there and did that, and he he gathered in allies and 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 doled out build out um, rewards and titles and things and said, I'm your guy. I'm in charge here. Have a good, have a good time. Uh, I'm going back to Nubian. And really? that's what he did. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he did. He was, he was, he, 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 <laughs> he was a, uh, what's the word? A kind of a absentee king. Cause he was king of Kush first. And he didn't really seem to care an awful lot about staying in, in what we call, would call Egypt. He went up there, he did that thing, and then he went back to where his, where his, his own kingdom was. And he, he, hung, around, he, hung, he um, hung out there for a while uh, until, until, until stuff happened. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So basically, the bottom line is he gets himself crowned pharaoh, says, Hi, I'm here. I'm going back to Nubia now. See you later. Govern yourselves, basically. Yeah, he had a great big party. He said, look how awesome I am. And, you know, had some fe- did some festivals and appointed some, some people to, to positions. I think one of his daughters got installed as the, um, as the heir to his sister at the, the Temple of Karnak. But, yeah, he, he went, then went back to Nubia to... to um, oh, yeah, he went back to Nubia to build more stuff at Jebel Barkal, to expand the temple. And to put to cut you, but it's basically you know make more carvings, uh, do what Egyptian pharaohs did, you know, like do, do, do what he went back to do what the Egyptian pharaohs who conquered his country thousands of, like hundreds of years before would do, which is to then carve stuff into walls saying I am now king of Upper Egypt and and Nubia and and calling himself all sorts of crazy names like um, the, the bull arising in the pata and things like that and, and stuff. And all these crazy praise names that they, they used to call themselves. It was, was cool he, back then. Was he an actual warrior? Did he take part in any battles? Do we know anything like that if he did? Well, luckily, this is the part that actually we get to know. A, a really, this is where the story occurs. This is where we actually get to know stuff about him. Because when you, uh, either now or immediately after he gets back to Nubia, the war starts, which provokes his invasion, of, his full invasion of Egypt. Egypt. And one, once he is, spoiler alert, victorious in that, he returns again to Jebel Barkal and he puts a big plaque, Ostella, uh, Ostella, I don't actually know the proper grammatical you know, term. He installs that in that temple. And this is the victory stele of, of Pai. It's a very famous artifact. It is the principal source of information for uh, Pi, and it tells us all about his, his war against the Libyans, the Libyan in quotes dynasts. Yeah, during his people are estimated to be his twenty to twenty-first year of of rule. So he does actually something good, in a way. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He. This is where the movie bit comes, and this is where my pitch for for food and drink to be um, to be to be a movie, because there is a villain arises, or at least a rival, the High Chief of Ma, they called him, uh, a guy called Tefnacht, uh, who was the Lord of the West. He he seems to have been a rival 
to Pai. He took a great exception to this Nubian southerner coming up and just saying, I'm Pharaoh now. And Tefnacht uh, gathers an alliance of the northern uh, warlords, uh, what they call, what, what, uh, Pai's, what Pai's inscription kind of semi-mockingly refers to as the feather-wearing chiefs of the Delta. Uh, and he, he marches south to basically take Thebes and say, I am the king of Upper Egypt, I'm Pharaoh. And uh, he goes down towards goes down towards Thebes, threatens Pai's allies, um, and some of them become, in quotes again, quoting from the, the inscription at Jebel Barkal, like dogs at his feet. And obviously people are getting pretty worried because there's a lot of there's a lot of Libyans up there coming at them. And this is kind of scary. And actually one of Pai's uh, southern Egyptian allies actually defects. His name was Nimlot. So Word comes to Jebel Barkal, uh, sorry, Napata, which is near Jebel Barkal, which is the capital of Kush. And Pai is like, ah, well, that's, that's not good, is it? But he's a very calm guy. He responded actually by laughing. And actually, that's quite, I find that quite chilling. He just kind of does this kind of super villain laugh from his, from his uh, palace at the idea of these guys, the, these upstarts coming down to fight his army. And so he doesn't even go himself. He just sends word to his generals to say, go up there. And he gives them really specific orders as well. He just gives them this set of really specific orders, which is basically attack them like an anvil. Attack, just seek a battle. Find them, crush them. Don't let anybody have any rest. Don't let the plowers go to the fields. Go and destroy them, basically. But before you do, uh, but before you do that, by the he wants them to be pure as well. So when they when they get to Upper Egypt to Thebes, the entire army is supposed to bathe in the Nile and purify themselves, and then go and crush everything. And so he sends them up to do this, and they do it. They they hammer the, the Confederates. We'll call, we could call them the Libyan Confederates. They hammer them, but they don't destroy them. Now. Word of this gets back to to Nubia, and Pai gets mad. He actually get, he gets it says he flies into a a, a panther like rage because they have not wrought enough destruction to to break this confederacy. So he goes himself. He he picks himself up and goes in great state and pomp, carrying with him his household, his architects, his wives, his horses, his stables, his grooms, his, you know, floor polishes, things like that. And he goes all the way up himself, and he takes command of the army. And they drive up, drive up uh, towards Memphis, and, uh, and the capital of the traitorous Nimlot, uh, who, by, I'm sorry, is not in Memphis, he's in another place, which I cannot pronounced properly that's fine don't worry yeah, i don't think yeah, many of us I'm, can <laughs> very sorry it's, it's actually quite a difficult uh, thing to pronounce and i've forgotten the easier way because they all have like two names these cities but he goes up here he goes to nimlot nimlot, nimlot city first and he besieges it and there's an interesting bit of the story here I'm pretty darn sure that Pai wanted to kind of do nasty things to Nimlot for betraying him. I'm pretty sure that this guy's days were absolutely numbered. 
and he was going to basically stick parts of his anatomy on, on stakes and things like that. But Nimlot, knowing this, having, uh, begins to plead for his life, basically, and sends embassies out to Pai, who pretty much ignores them. Then he sends out his women, all his wives and his children and things like that, to go and appeal to the harem of Pai for mercy. Uh, now, this is actually a thing that was quite common to do. And I'm surprised, actually, that Nimlot didn't just start with this, because if you actually, in those days, wanted to surrender, um, and wanted to surrender, what you did was you surrendered your, your harem, your house of women, basically, your household, to the guy who is attacking you. And they're supposed to go out and say, please don't kill my, my, my husband, my lord and master. And usually that was just the form. You know, if you surrender your most precious people to the enemy, into their protection, then you have basically surrendered your, yourself. But it, so this happens. Nimrod sends his, his wives out uh, to Pai's wives. And uh, the, I have a list of, the, of Pai's wives, but I, I think we'll get to that a little later. Nimrod sends out his wives, and they successfully plead to Pai's wives. And Pai's wives go to Pai and, ask, and say, you know, my girls here have don't want you to massacre the, you know, their husband. Um, please don't. And he says, well, okay, since you ask, I, I, won't, I won't kill him. And he doesn't. He, he, the city surrenders, he goes in, and he, he, I think he plays a, some, some other... I think he, I get the impression that Pai then sort of plays some mind games with Nimlot, sort of, sort of uh, never letting him know whether or not he's going to turn on him at any moment, and keeps sort of softly mocking him about not taking care of his horses properly and things like that, uh, which, he, which he says upset him more than any treachery he could have done uh, to, to Pai himself, because he liked his horses, did Pai. But that is, that's an interesting episode there. He takes, out, he takes out Nimlot. Nimlot is now back on side, theoretically. Don't actually know what happened to him. But as far as is known from the inscriptions, um, his wives uh, saved his life. Uh, and then Pai continues on his victorious rampage north, takes Memphis in fine style by sailing right into the harbor and uh, fighting up through the city, taking control of the temples. Uh, and then thereafter, um, city after city after city just surrenders to him. And what's interesting about this is the fact that Pai isn't actually recorded as massacring any of the cities he takes, as an example. I think he was going to do it with Nimlot's city, but obviously he didn't. Um, and every time he... And in his march to the Delta, he always tried to present himself as a liberator, as uh, not, just a, not just a conqueror and a, and a, and a warlord, but as a, as a man of justice, as pharaoh, as the bringer of order. You know, he was the chosen one of Amun and, and etc. And so he would always do these, these ceremonies and things whenever he took a city to restore order and show that he was the, 
he was the ruler of the land, the righteous one kind of thing, which actually I think might be one of the inter interpretations of his actual name. But anyway, so he goes all the way up, uh, having defeated Tefnacht's army in front of Memphis. He goes all the way up to the Delta. Now Tefnacht has managed to escape. And as I was saying before, everybody is now just surrendering en masse to, to Pai's army. Sure enough, Tefnacht does the same thing. He sends an embassy to the, uh, to the Kushite camp, and he says, please forgive me, O Pharaoh. Um, again, don't kill me. You're in charge. You win. And that, uh, that effectively ends the campaign. Um, and that's in brief, because the actual the victory, the victory stellar, uh, goes into quite good detail as to how this campaign went. And this, uh, it's actually in very interesting to, to read it um, for the insights you get into, into Pai's character. So basically, he sounds like a pretty good warlord, but a bit mm -hmm. of a shit ruler. Well, yeah, I mean, that is kind of, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate we don't have a lot more to go on on his reign because it's hard to say one way or another. What he, he, was a, he was definitely a crafty politician and obviously a very capable general. But as to whether he was a good ruler or not, uh, I, I have no idea how to answer that, uh, really. He, he seemed to do... No, but there's no inscriptions which say he, he kind of failed to, to rule justly. But because he was kind of an absentee king, nobody really likes them very much, do they? He, he kept going back to Nubia. So I guess that would be, from what we know, his, the weakest side of his, his character is that he was mostly interested in ruling his own patch and letting deputies kind of take control of the rest. The result of this war was, however, that the 25th dynasty was founded, which included a number of pharaohs, the most famous um, of which is one of his sons, Tahaka, who um, uh, I believe lost a war against the Assyrians but who Tahaka, I think, did actually move up into Egypt to become like a proper Egyptian-Egyptian pharaoh rather than a Nubian king ruling Egypt. Uh, that's his legacy, I think, which is the 25th dynasty, which he founded. But yeah, I think you're right. Um, it's, a, it's, a kind of a, it's kind of an open question as to whether he was a great ruler because, as, as we all know, the great generals in history don't always make the greatest rulers. That is very true. But let's get back to the women, of course. Love a good, uh, love a good strong woman in this. Mm -hmm. His wives clearly um, were pretty awesome. Uh, there was five of them. Am I right about that? Yes. Well, the wives of Egyptian pharaohs themselves, some of them are very well known, and you can get a lot of um, information from about them. Uh, again, because of the who Pai was, and because he's known basically by one thing, you have to kind of satisfy ourselves with knowing who they were and, and sort of what their relationship to him was. Uh, and obviously, there's a certain amount of discussion regarding who was his principal wife at which time. But his wives, uh, in order of assumed precedence, where was a, uh, a lady called Tabiri, 
who is known as his first great wife. Um, so head of, head of the household sort of thing. Another one called Abba, who was the mother of Tahaka, who was a niece, apparently, of Tabiri. Then you get um, uh, Pexate, who seems to have been, is in, it's inferred that she came from the deep south, from below Kush, uh, from a place called Meroe, which is a very interesting place in itself, because that is the successor kingdom to Kush, and that actually lasted well into Roman times. And if you want to talk about some, some tough women, you want to look at the queens of Meroe, the Kantakes or Kandeks, who took on the Romans. But that's a completely other story. There's a really great story. I'm sorry. There's a really great story about this like one-eyed, uh, one-eyed queen of Meroe who, who, who fought against, uh, against one of the Roman uh, proconsuls. <laughs> well, a, she sounds pretty awesome. Yes, yes, she yes she was. She and her other, she and the others uh, of who succeeded her had this habit of going up into the Roman territories, cutting heads off statues of Augustus, and uh, taking them back in triumph to Meroe, where they where they ritually buried them under the temples of um, temples uh, under their temples. Very interesting stuff. <clears throat> but but anyway. Going back to these ladies, we get this lady called Pexata, who appears to have been from that region and may have been his, one of his oldest wives, as in like his, his, the wife before um, Tabiri. And uh, one, guy, one historian thinks that actually she might have died during his invasion of Egypt and because she's buried in Egypt. Uh, but that's against conjecture, but it kind of works uh, out and it kind of makes sense in a way. Uh, and then you get a lady called Kensa, um, who uh, rather dodgily is speculated as possibly one of his sisters. And then uh, a very shadowy figure called Nefru um, which apart from having a very difficult name to pronounce, uh, very little is known about her except, um, I believe, the, in, an inscription which is attributed to her. And those are his wives, those are, those are his wives, the majority of which, barring um, the one who died, Pexate, uh, probably would have been the ones who saved the life of Nimlot uh, during the, the invasion of the north. It takes a woman to do a man's job. Uh, yes, in this, yes to, to, in this case, the, <laughs> it was very wise of them to spare Nimlot's life because had Pai gone ahead and killed him and massacred everybody in the city, maybe other cities would have fought harder. So they, being able to, to see clearly on this matter of uh, showing mercy, did him a lot of favours. So, yes, this is definitely the case here. You've mentioned one of his sons who ends up being a future pharaoh, but mm-hmm. were there any other children? That we know of? Uh, yes, we know of obviously Tahaka, who is a future pharaoh. There is um, a daughter uh, called Shepen Wepet, who is installed, uh, uh, who is the one I mentioned earlier, um, who was, who was uh, installed as the heir to the god's wife of Amun at Thebes. Then uh, Mutirdis, who is, the, uh, who is a daughter and made chief prophet of Hathor and Mut. Also at Thebes, he he basically did a lot of um, 
installing of children uh, in high in high religious positions at Thebes. Um, then you have uh, Kalhata, who was a daughter who was uh, given in marriage to King Shabako. And that's a dodgy thing as well, which I can get to in a minute, because um, the K- King Shabako um, is actually uh, the son of Pai's father. Uh, Ati is another daughter who was given in marriage to King Shabitko, who again, dodgily, <laughs> that is the son of Shabako, who is the son of Kashte, and Kashte is the father of Pai. Then you have Ha, son of um, uh, Ha, who is a son. He is the father of uh, a very important, a very uh, significant later figure, but who is not necessarily germane to the subject uh, here. And then we have uh, a son called uh, Khaliot, uh, who is the governor of Kanad in Nubia. Quite a lot of daughters than he had, uh, who probably would have been included in the the, the harem who who saved Nimlot, as we were just talking about there. But also, there's a confusing and rather to our ears icky kind of marriage intermarriage thing going on here, which unfortunately is 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 quite common in in, in Pharaonic history. I was going to say Cleopatra and. Everyone yeah. before her, we all know that you know you were supposed to marry your sister or your brother, and it yeah. just got icky and. and, and it's just <laughs> yes, yes, very, very yes. The very good word. I, I'm remembering the. Have you seen the 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 um, Elizabeth Taylor Cleopatra? Yes. You know where she uh, near the beginning where where Elizabeth Taylor like ticks Caesar off for burning the Library of Alexandria. And Go then on. Rex Harrison just sort of loses it and starts basically calling here an inbred barbarian. How dare you tell anybody about being civilized? <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> all I can do is laugh to that. <laughs> Josh, listen, that was so insightful and so interesting. Finding out about uh, a blackberry that, that I didn't even know existed. Uh, a warlord who, probably in my opinion, um, wasn't such a great ruler, but an incredible warlord. So thank you so much for joining us and telling us all about him. Well, uh, I, I'm very, very pleased to have uh, been able to come back and talk to you about it. It's always great to talk to you and Alec. Uh, as I said before, you know, uh, it's, always, it's always vaguely surprising that people allow me to come back and ramble at them about these things. But... If you're happy to let me keep coming back, I will keep coming back. Keep coming back. We love a good ramble. And before we finish, can you tell our listeners where they can get you? Well, they can get me at adventuresinhistoryland.com. And if you find me there, you'll find me everywhere. Ideal. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Join us tomorrow when Nikolai Eberholz will be back. You absolutely adored the three-part series he did on Austria-Hungary and the Great War, but he's gone home this time. We're going to talk about the reality of neutrality in World War One, specifically looking at Danes in World War One. This is brilliant. It's not going to be what you expect, and some of the stories that he's translated out of Danish for the very first time are amazing. Um, and I don't think they've even seen the light of day in Denmark because he squirrelled them out of the archive where he works. So don't miss that one.
Don't forget that we do exist on Patreon as History Hack and on Patreon as well, which is Podbean's own version. Uh, Alina and I have had massive fun doing this in 2020, uh, but life's going to change quite a lot next year and we're going to actually have to go and earn a living, etc. If we want to keep up the regularity that we've been bringing you and the kind of guests that we've been bringing you and the workload, then we will need your help. So uh, if you join us on either of those platforms, uh, Marcus is currently working on some benefits for you. So uh there's going to be incentives for joining on either of those platforms. We're revamping ourselves on both of them. So don't forget to go in. You can do as little as a dollar a month and it all goes towards keeping up History Hack as regular as we've been able to bring it to you this year. We are now on YouTube. We are posting all of our new episodes on there and we have our own channel and we are gradually posting all of the back episodes because we have been made aware of the fact that you can only find the last hundred on some platforms. So you can go and listen to your heart's content and laugh at the cartoons and have a great time. So do go over there and subscribe. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.